I want to speak to you today along this line. The title of this message is Don't Regret the Last Day. I wanted to read a passage of scripture. (laughs) Jesus said, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws near and take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that day will come upon you unaware. For as a snare, a trap, it will come on all of them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, And pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all of these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. By a miracle of God's grace, and I'm very thankful, God has, I believe, kept my heart desirous to help you and prepare you to meet Jesus. I'm grateful that I have warned you regularly of the times that we live in and the soon return of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful that I have exhorted you to pray and to pray more and to gather more and to meet more often. I'm grateful and thankful by God's grace that I have done everything that I can as a pastor to keep you in the word of God and to motivate you, to stir you with everything I know to do, to passionately pursue intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. I am grateful for the opportunity to pour myself out to you. Today is no different. If you have withdrawn from the fellowship, regardless of your excuses, you are failing to watch. The snare that will come on all who dwell on the face of the earth is already coming upon you. The simple cares of this life, making a living, feeding your family, paying for education, paying your bills, your mortgage, can all be the traps that Satan is tricking you with. This is a serious matter. Jesus implores you, watch ye therefore, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all of these things that will happen in the end of the world and to stand before the Son of Man. I want you to realize these end times are times that you have never lived through before. As a matter of fact, nobody has ever lived in times like this before. We often like to think that these days are really nothing new, but they are new. The Bible says that they're new. You can tell yourself that they're not, but they are. And not only are they new, they're old because the days are drawing to an end. These days are unique and they're characterized in the Bible as times and events that have never occurred on the earth before. Tribulations and persecutions that will come to the earth that will be exceedingly greater than anything that has ever happened on the earth. 
persecutions and global pandemics and catastrophes and natural disasters unparalleled in human history. The Bible forecasts these things to happen. The Bible even says that if those days were not shortened, no flesh would be left alive. Say that to you because I'm very aware that as Jesus has come the first time, he is coming again. And I want you to be ready to meet Jesus with no regret. Is that all right? To minister to you today that you live your life with no regret of meeting Jesus. Because no man knows how to survive this. To sustain oneself in these crucial global and inescapable labor pains of the earth. It would be extremely wise for you to give heed to God. Who perfectly knows what is coming and how to survive. God even warns us in his word. That what you think will be good enough to get you through will not. He even warns us in his word that what you trust that is going to sustain you will not. He tells us that very clearly. So it would be wise to give heed to how God tells you to sustain your faith. It would be wise to give heed to how God tells you to govern your life and your behavior as he says In his word, and the apostles even wrote, let us consider one another and provoke to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As a believer, you should have that within you. You should have that awareness within you. That's the word of God. That's Hebrews chapter 10. In a situation and in a world where a lot of believers were turning away from their faith because of how difficult it was to be a Christian. Paul even says in Hebrews 10 that since the day that you were illuminated and trusted in Jesus, it began for you a hard fight of affliction. You, you lost your goods, they plundered your home, and in many cases you were exiled. But you, you took it joyfully, the spoiling of your goods, <clears throat> because you knew you had in heaven a better and an everlasting habitation that no thief is going to come break into and steal and no government's going to take from you. They knew that. And so he, he, he asked them and he challenges them, don't throw your faith away. Don't throw your confidence away. You have need of this if you are to be recompensed for what you're believing for. Don't turn back. Don't turn back into perdition and praise God. He concludes chapter 10 with saying, and we are not of those who turn back. So so there are signs of turning back the cares of this life, distracting me from the cares of the kingdom. That's a sign, not that there's a possibility of me turning back. That's a sign that I'm already distracted. My participation, because of my love for God, 
with the kingdom of God, the, the church of Jesus Christ, the mission of God in the earth, my participation with that, if it begins to wane, if it begins to not be consistent, if, if it's not a practice of my life through faith, not legalism, as, as my lifestyle in Christ, then I'm already being distracted from this warning of Hebrews chapter 10 of maybe one day, God forbid, turning away altogether. You don't know what you're about to face. You don't know what you're about to live in. You don't know what it's going to take to sustain yourself, your family, your children, your grandchildren. You don't know, but God does. And when we're living in peaceful times and easy times, these things mean very little to us. But when we come into the aggravated moments of life, sometimes it's very hard to find your footing. If you didn't establish it in the days of peace, it'll be very hard to establish it in the days of turmoil. Not that you can't. And praise God, not that he forsakes us. We turn back, not him. But we don't turn back, right? We're not of those who turn back. Praise God. But we believe to the saving of the soul. According to scripture, I would say this is the the quitter generation. It's the quitter generation. We quit. We give up. We don't like it anymore, so we stop. We get bored, so we find a greener pasture. We, We, just for whatever reasons, we quit our marriages, we quit our friendships, we quit our jobs, we we quit our communities, we quit the cities we grew up in. We 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 just quit. We I I, I don't want it anymore. I I want a whole set of new friends. Like they're going to change things. Paul says, and I want you to read this passage with me in Second Timothy chapter three. And very quickly, he just talks about the characteristic of the church in the last days. This is the, these, this is the, the, this is what is attending church in the last days. And he says in Second Timothy three, this know also that in the last days perilous times will come. Now, this isn't the world. It's not our culture. It's not the woke culture. Don't even look to that. This is what attends church in the last days. Men who are lovers of their own selves. Men who are covetous, proud, boasters. They're blasphemers. They're disobedient to parents. They're unthankful. They're unholy. They're without natural affection. They're they're truce breakers, means they don't keep their words. They're false accusers. They're liars. They're incontinent. They cannot control themselves. They're fierce. They're despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. That's why we're not talking about the world. Because the world's not trying to have a form of godliness. But this is what's going to be attending church in the last days. And they're going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power thereof. This this is people who practice religion. This is people who understand God and have a fear of God and want to be as much like God as they can be. Like they would have sung that song today with all of their gusto. 
Oh, to be like you. They would have sung that with all of their gusto, but they, wouldn't, they would not have wanted the power of God on their life. For, for instance, how many of you were singing that song today? And while you're singing that song, you're desperately crying out in your spirit, I need the Holy Ghost to be like you. Come to me. Or we were just singing the song, you know, because it's just right. And maybe we like the tune and maybe we really do want to be godly. And so we have this form of godliness, but we're denying the power thereof. It's a quitter generation, what you just read. It's a selfish generation. It's a generation that wants its own pleasure and it wants its own will. And it wants to incorporate God into that. But that's about the extent of it. I'll leave you when you're not fun. And I'll leave you when you begin to talk about commitment. I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to be involved here and I want to be involved there. But don't talk to me about commitment. When I was in high school, <clears throat> I, um, I love sports, but I hate practice. I hated football practice. <clears throat> and I, I didn't grow up as a little kid playing football. But when I was going into high school at Terra, I was interested in playing football. <clears throat> and so you go out for the summer, right? 90-something degrees, humidity, it's miserable outside, and they're going to do this twice a day. And I'm like, uh-uh, I, I, I'm not doing this, you know. And so I tell the coach, I said, I'll probably be the best player on your team, but can I just show up for the game? I didn't really say that to him. But I said that to some of my friends, you know, and they just laughed and told me, you're just not even going to be on this team. Just forget it. Because we like to play the games, we like to be involved in the excitement of the moment, but no, I don't want to be committed. Don't do this. I'm, I'm a covenant breaker. I'm a truce breaker. You can't count on me. As long as it's fun for me, as long as it's exciting for me, but if it's not, I'm out. That's the generation I believe we're living in. Now, <clears throat> he says in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, and this is, this is beautiful, He says in verse 3, and I'm I'm coming to that, which is beautiful. He says, for the time will come. I believe it's come. I believe this is it. When they will not endure sound doctrine. It's hard to preach the word today to people. It's hard to preach the word of God to the church today. It's very hard to be honest with the word of God. You have to condition it so much. I don't really mean you. I just mean them. It's hard to do that. It's hard to let the scapula, not, not the sword of death and condemnation, but the scapula of God that's, that's cutting into our hearts and our lives to bring healing and to let bad things out. It's hard to do that today in the church world because they will not endure sound doctrine. They can't handle it. Paul had this problem with the Corinthians. He said, I want to give you meat, but you can't handle it. You'll choke on it. I've got to give you milk to have. So they will not endure sound doctrine. So what they will do is, out of their own lust, they will heap to themselves. They will collect. They'll get a collection of teachers. Because they have itching ears and they want these teachers to tickle them. Well, how do you do that? And I'm not by any means saying this is exactly what Paul meant. But you can get together your heap of preachers today on YouTube pretty easy. And you can just listen to the preaching you want to hear. This is what I like. And you can turn that on and you can turn anybody off that you don't like. This this is the day that we're living in. 
And, and, and they will, th- these teachers will turn their ears away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, which is storytelling. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. I, I, would, I would say that to you. I believe that if Timothy were to do some of these things in verse 5, he will not regret the last day. And he says, Paul says of himself in verse 6, and this is what I want us to come to. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. Paul, Paul knew, I'm, I'm about to meet Jesus. But he also knew that <clears throat> I'm not going to meet Jesus easily. In order for me to meet Jesus, I have to make my life an offering. I'm going to be sacrificed to death. And it's all right. I'm ready. I'm ready to do that. And I just admire this man so much for how he lived his life. I I admire the Holy Spirit in him and what the Holy Spirit was able to do through him. I admire him because he never gave us the impression that he was strong in himself. But he let us know by God's grace, I am what I am. I can do anything by God's grace. Not, not, that's what I admire so much about Paul and what the Holy Spirit was able to do through his life. And he says in verse 7, I want you to be able to say this. I really do. <clears throat> I have fought a good fight. And just even the terms of fighting lets us know there's going to be some really tough days. There, there's going to be some days of real aggression. There's, there's going to have to be some days. You know what? You got to battle through this. <clears throat> don't, don't let this overthrow your faith. Don't let this, this <clears throat> sense that what you're going through, this, this blanket that, that of despair that might be coming over. Don't, don't let it happen. Don't let it bring you down into the pit. Fight it. Fight it. Fight this fight of faith. We all face it. We all battle it. We all go through it. We, maybe we want to throw the towel in. Maybe we want to quit. Maybe we say we can't take it anymore. But for God's sake, take it. Fight it. Fight it in faith. Believe. Just continue. To, that's what Paul did. And that's what fight means to me. It's a fight. And then he says, I have finished my course. And in the translation of that, it's I've run my race. And racing is, is grueling. Uh, When you're you're racing and you're racing well, you are pushing your limits. He's not saying, I I, I have finished my training, because sometimes you can take breaks during training. But no, it's my race. This was the moment of competition. This was the moment you gut it out. This is the moment you leave nothing on the the course. You put everything. You lay it all down. I did it. I, I did that. I finished. I have run this race, and it's over for me. Praise God that a person can know they're leaving this world to meet God in his knowing that. Don't you want to know that? And then he said, I have kept the faith. I've kept it. That that was entrusted to me. And I kept it. And, and, And if you were to ask me, you say, Paul, how did you keep the faith? Well, all I know is he told Timothy this. 
I am persuaded I know whom I have believed in, and I am absolutely confident that he is able to keep all that I've entrusted unto him against that day. And Paul would say something like this that some of these other translations don't use, and he would say, but I live by the faith of the Son of God. Some of the newer translations say I live by faith in the Son of God. It's a huge difference. Because if I'm living by my faith in the Son of God, then I'm trying to keep myself in Him. But if I'm living by the faith of the Son of God, it means that I live knowing that He knows He can get me home. I I believe He can do it. I know that He can do it. And He knows that He can do it. I rest in Him. I rest in that. I do have faith in Him. And I have faith on Him. And so Paul uses those interchangeably in his life. And then he says in verse 8, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Wow. I am going to heaven because I'll be made an offering. I'm all right with it because I have fought a good fight. I have accomplished my race. I've kept my faith and I'm going to get a crown. Do you know that you're going to get a crown? Do you know it? I'm I'm not just saying you will. I'm, I'm asking you, do you know that you will? Do you know that your life of faith has laid up for you a crown in heaven? And there are many crowns the Bible talks about that you can receive when you stand before Jesus Christ. Do you hope you're going to get a crown? I'm not asking, do you know the Bible teaches we get crowns? Because some people will enter heaven, according to Corinthians, by the skin of their teeth. And their works tried by fire and their wood, hay and stubble and they all burn up. But they enter in by the skin of their teeth. How will you enter? Will Will you get into heaven by the skin of your teeth? All that you've done, all that you've lived, all that you've practiced. And when it's put through the fire... Is there going to be gold and silver and precious stones in those works that comes through the fire and it's refined? This is not a matter of whether you go to heaven or hell. This is just your rewards in heaven. So do you know that you've got a crown waiting? Do you know that? Or do you hope that? Or do you know the Bible teaches that? But ah, I don't know if I actually do. Hope I do. Paul knew he did. It's later. It's got my name on it. He knew that he did. Isn't it wonderful to live that way for the king? I mean, if this is really where you want to go when you die, if, if all of this that you have embraced as Christianity that has caused you to lose friends, that has caused you to live sacrificially, that has caused you to live nobly, Because as a a believer and, and the grace of God in your life that convicts you about certain things that you used to do. And now God's grace is convicting you about that. And you're not comfortable living that way anymore. And you have made a willful choice to embrace God's grace and live this life that Jesus is calling to you. You've said goodbye to the world. And yes, if that's the life you've chosen, wouldn't you love to live it in such a way that you could say, In your dying breath, there are crowns laid up for me. I know it. I know it. And Paul lived that way. It's not the greatest tragedy in the world if you don't. I think the greatest tragedy in the world would be those people when Jesus comes back and 
they're, they're all excited about meeting Jesus and ready to go with him. And Jesus said, well, wait a minute, where are you going? And he says, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven. And they said, but wait, wait a minute. Look what we did. We cast out demons. It's got to be a crown for that. No, not necessarily. We did great works. Got to be a crown for that. No, not necessarily. We prophesied in your name. Got to be a crown. for No, not necessarily. Because Jesus will say to some of them, I never knew you. Never knew you. That, that's the greatest tragedy of all. To think that you're going to be with Jesus throughout all of eternity and you hear him say to you, never knew you. I never, we, we, we have no relationship. And I believe another tragedy would be for us to have worked so hard for the kingdom and not know or be sure of what we've laid up in heaven for him. There's a, a wonderful mission story by the name of a guy named Russell Diebler. And he lived in the 1900s. Remember when I was in the 1900s, I say he lived in the 1800s. I'm that guy now, you know, lived in the 1900s. And, um, wow. It's getting closer. So, um, he was a missionary to New Guinea. And New Guinea is jungle, um, mountains uh, throughout these islands and, and places. And he lived there and he went. With all of his heart, if you were to ask him in his testimonies, in his journals, he said, I want to raise the banner of the gospel where it has never been raised. Now, for him to do that, it was quite hard. So he moved to New Guinea and he began to serve. And he began to find out about the various tribes that live throughout the mountains of New Guinea. He would hire the indigenous people to help him carry the supplies, his Bibles, his, his, his materials to give to the people, his, his modes of ministry. And he would hire the people to carry these on backpack and they would go as far as they could on the mules and the animals. And when the mules could not go any further, then they would take the backpacks and they would begin to put it on their backs and they would just literally carry them and they would, through the mountains. And this was days and days and days, incredible danger. The environment was changing on them because it was in the jungles. It was a lot of rain. The nights were cold. The days were hot. They didn't have the best equipment. Their shoes are wet. Their socks are wet. There's mold growing in their clothes. And a lot of the indigenous people just would tell Russell, we can't do it anymore. This is as far as we could get. We can go. And so even some of the indigenous people that were trained in those mountains could not endure the grueling uh, journeys that they were making. But Russell kept going. He kept going. And people didn't understand it. And he would say that there's a group just over that mountaintop. They have never heard the name of Jesus. They sit in darkness and if somebody doesn't go, they'll die without Christ. I must go and raise his banner. 
And when the men that he hired were leaving him, he consolidated his pack and he put as much as he could in a backpack and he put it on his back and he continued to go. He crossed over 14 mountaintops through his life in New Guinea, bringing the gospel to tribes that had never heard of Jesus Christ because he loved them and he loved Jesus and he wanted them to have the gospel. There's a story that Robert Jeffries tells. Robert Jeffries was probably one of the greatest Pentecostal missionaries in modern history. And he knew Russell, and he oftentimes visited him. And so he tells a story in his journal, Robert Jeffrey's journal, he tells the story of a, of a particular time that Russell Diebler was making one of these journeys. And he was drenched, he was, he was cold, he was hot, he had the humidity, he had fevers. His body was just racked with pain and suffering and When he finally reached this particular haven, his leather shoes were so worn with the water and the the hiking that you would walk on these mountains and on some of the mountains there would be like this moss type algae that was growing in these mountains. And just right underneath them was these shards of limestone and they just cut right through the leather of his shoes. And on this particular time, when he reached his haven, they took his shoes that were practically punctured and falling apart. They took them off and they took his socks off. You can only imagine. He had no skin on his insteps. He had no skin on his toes. And they were looking at this, but he said, I reached them. I got there. And Robert Jeffries writes this. This morning, I looked at the bleeding feet of a missionary. I was stunned as I watched his loving wife tending to them. There was blood and there was infection running out of his feet. The smell was unbelievable. The sight was nauseating. I could not personally bear it. His feet had to be treated. The skin and the scabs had to be pulled back to keep the infection coming out. One particular day, I walked out of the room disgusted, sick, nauseated, not understanding why a man would ruin his life and his health. And all I could say is how disgusting is that sight And Robert Jeffries said, on one particular instance, the Holy Spirit said to me, oh, but those are my beautiful feet. They are beautiful to me, the Holy Spirit said. And Jeffries writes, someday it will all be over. Someday the tired, bleeding feet of the missionaries will for the last time cross those broken bottle limestone mountains. Someday, for the last time, they will go down into one of those newly discovered valleys 
for the last time. Someday, for the last time, they will speak the gospel of redemption through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Someday, the last one will turn to Jesus. Then the clouds will part. The Savior will be there. There'll be a last time. I highlight some of that. Very soon, it will all be over. There is a last day. There's a last day for you. There's a last day for me. There's a last day for the church. He's going to call us home. There's a last day. I believe we are the people of the last day. I believe the warnings that Paul wrote, or Paul wrote about to Timothy are our day. I also believe that the encouragement he writes to the church is for encouragement of the last day's people. That you can run your race. You can fight a good fight. And may, maybe you've been fighting and you're laid on your back. You say, I haven't fought a good fight. It ain't over. Get up. Get up. With all of your faith in Jesus Christ and knowing all of his power, get up and keep walking and finish this race and know that when Jesus is coming to get you, you know, I have done what he's asked me to do. I have given what he's asked me to give. I beseech you to do that because one day there's going to be the last plane flight for a missionary. It'll never happen again. One day, the last missionary who's going to cross an ocean or cross a river or cross a dried up riverbed to get to a people to share Jesus with them, it's going to be, they're going to be the last one. They're going to be, one day, I believe one day soon, somebody is going to pull out maybe their amplifier something. And in a Walmart parking lot, preach Jesus. Someday, Charles, somebody's going to hand the last track out at LSU. And Charles, maybe you'll get down on your knees and pray with them as you lead them to Christ. And that was the one soul God had been patiently waiting for, Charles. And he comes. No regret, brother. No regret. No regret. One day, everything you want to do for Jesus will be gone. One day, every opportunity that you have to serve the great king, to love the great God, it'll be over. And you don't have to regret it. Live full. Live in the Holy Spirit. And you say, Pastor, what would you say for me to be ready for that day? Well, I've been preaching that for 37 years. But if I had to sum it up, I would say grace. You can resist it. You can resist God's grace. You can love pleasure more than God. You can... Be distracted with the cares of this life and say one day, but grace won't let you do that. Grace says today. You know, Paul said to Titus that the grace of God that has appeared, it teaches you to look for the blessed hope and appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace tells you the rapture soon. We just had Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday. 
And one of the signs of Thanksgiving is Halloween. And a lot of times people, when they see Halloween, they know, well, skip through this, Christmas is coming. And I'm like, let's get through this, Thanksgiving's coming. Food, desserts, football, couches for three days. It's just wonderful. And I see all of this happening in the world, and I know Jesus is coming. But I see all this happening in the world, and I know the rapture's coming. And I don't know how many days I have. I don't know how I may die. I don't know how I might meet Jesus. But I know that I can do by his grace what he's asked me to do. And I can be desperate for the Holy Spirit. I don't want a form of godliness. I need the power of God in my life. And for some of us, and I'm including myself in that, we can spend our lives doing things. We don't need God to help us. Do what we do. You, I mean, come on, you know that. There are things that you do in your Christianity you don't need God to help you. And I just simply say, faith differently. So you're living in such a way where you know every single moment of your life, God, I need you. Oh, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. So... I wrote something and I'm going to read it to you in closing. And then I'm closing it with a quote that Charles Spurgeon wrote. And I do want you to have a crown. I do want you to meet Jesus and I want you to be ready. I think about this. It's something that I had penned a while back, years ago, actually. Very soon. No more shadows. No more wondering what Jesus really looks like. Reality. Face to face. Sun will shine directly upon me. CJ brought their little baby over during the altar and he was like, look at me, look at me. Want the baby to look at him. And he said, that's what God does with us all the time. He's holding us and God's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And we're distracted. Well, one day, I'm not going to be able to look away. It's, it's no shadows. It's, it's no theology. It's real. It's transforming. I will worship God face to face. I will be... In the full choir of praise. And I will not regret one day. Not one day. Not one moment that I stood in this altar. Preparing for that choir around the throne of God. I did it here. I'll do it fully there. I will love God with all of my heart one day. You say, well, Pastor Lee, we're supposed to love God with all our... Well, you don't. And I don't. But I want to. Jesus loved God with all of his heart for me. And Jesus gives me the heart and the Holy Spirit to increase in my love for God. But one day, I'll love God with all of my heart. God, what will that be like? 
if I love him so much now. I will see him whom my soul adores. My broken heart will give up its despair. All of the pain and the heartache, the rejections, the betrayals that I've experienced in my life will disappear in the acceptance of God. The dark winter is about to be over. It's about to be transformed into the spring of life. So, beloved, no regrets. Live as though you mean to die and live while you live. We have a race to run. Millions of men in our world do not know the Lamb of God. They are not worshiping God. And for God's sake, they need to be. In all you do, do not neglect your race. When you lay dying, you will not regret that you spent so much time preaching. You will not regret the tracts that you passed out, the missions that you supported. When you lay dying, you will not regret that you exhausted yourself for the work of the kingdom. You will not regret that your body was worn out running for Jesus. You will not regret the people you forgave. You will regret the ones you didn't. You will not regret the lives that you served the gospel to, but you will be haunted by the ones you didn't serve. Political campaigns, social projects, humanitarian improvements. What are these if men die without the gospel? Education, medicine, city developments, engineering feats. What are these in a world where people will die no matter what you do to save them and cities will be burned and made new by Jesus Christ? What are they when you had the chance to build the kingdom of God and advance the gospel? No, I have experienced personally what haunts people when they die. I've been there. I've been there at the bedside of many people who were leaving this world to go into the next. And I know what haunts them. And I know what gives them peace. And it's not their works that give them peace. It's the spirit and the presence of God in their life and the blood of Jesus and the love of the king. But the people I have seen haunted are those that lived a dull life. They're haunted by what they did not do for Jesus, the people they did not love, the value they placed on those things that they cannot keep or take with them but gave so much of their time to. They're haunted by the sermons they didn't preach, that they spent no time weeping for love's sake over their family or their friends. They're wasted opportunities to love Jesus. They regret their need for popularity, for power, for money, for career. Beloved, when we shall come before Christ in heaven... Let there be no regret. Don't regret the offerings that you did give. Don't regret it. Don't wish that you had given more. 
Don't regret the money that you held on to. The poor and the hungry that were unfed because we were distracted. The family members we did not warn. The children that we were afraid to offend. Don't regret it. When we fall down before his feet and worship him, live so that you can fill his crown with jewels and surround his throne with trophies. Do it while it is called today. For the night comes when no man will work. That's the words of our Lord. Spurgeon said this beautifully. You can stand with me. Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will to perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay and to not madly destroy themselves. And if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Wow, what a statement. How do you prepare for this day? Well, you've been given the greatest gift in the Holy Spirit. He alone can. Seek this intimacy with God by the Holy Spirit. I open the altars up to you. We may not make it to a new year. We may. But you have a last day as well as I do. And I have a race to run. And I'll have a fight to fight. But I've got a beautiful faith worth keeping. Jesus gave me this faith. Maybe you will be that last one who prays with that last soul as the patience of the Lord waits for those that are coming in to come in. Maybe you'll be the last one. Maybe you'll be on that last airplane. Maybe you'll be on that last trip driving that last long drive to share Jesus with the hungry people. Be about the Father's business. Not for legalism, but for love's sake. For love's sake. For he who came will come again. His reward will be with him. Jesus, we honor you. We love you. We magnify your holy name. We glorify you, God. We glorify you. We want you, Lord. We want you, God. We want to be a people that are different than what is prophesied about a last day's church. We want to be a people on fire for you, God. A people who want your word, God. A people who want the truth. People who want to walk in your ways, God. People that are not living under the guise of religious performance, but the power of God is literally in our life power of God, the spirit of God that drives us with joy to pray and to serve and to give and to minister. Your Holy Spirit 
is our teacher. What a great teacher. What a great life. Thank you, Jesus, that you let me serve you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have blessed me with your your gospel, your new covenant truth, your love. Thank you. Help me to run, Lord, when I'm tired and I don't want to. Help me to run. Help me to go. Help me to give. Help me to serve. God, let me show up at that funeral. God, let me show up in that living room. God, let me show up in that hospital room. God, let me show up when I don't want to. God, I'm tired, but Lord, your love constrains me. God, let me give that offering. Let me give that tithe, God. Lord, don't let me get caught in saying another day, a better day, in just a moment, next week, next month. Lord, let me do it now because my race may be over tomorrow. God, let me do it now. Lord, let me know that there is this crown for me with my name on it to give you. To live, God, to see you face to face, to love you, to worship you. How beautiful is Jesus, church. Now listen. There is joy in the King. Don't allow yourself the mournfulness of failure. But I'm asking you to rise up in the joyful expectation of the Holy Spirit's power. That it matters not how you've run to this moment, but from this moment forward, you can run good, you can fight good, and you can finish well. And he will say, well done to you, my good and faithful servant. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Glorify your God and give thanks to him. If you must weep, weep. But he must anoint you with the oil of gladness. For that is the anointing of Jesus on your life. May there be joy abounding in your life and hope abounding in your spirit. Faith moving you to greater and greater heights of adventure with Jesus Christ. For those of us that have seen his power this past year, does it not whet our appetites to see more of what he's going to do in the coming? How wonderful it is to walk with Jesus. How wonderful it is to serve the King. How rich we are. How blessed we are. How well taken care of we are. And soon, he who our soul loves will be in our arms and we will be in his. Soon. Rejoice in the Lord, beloved. Give thanks to God and glorify him. Can I ask you all to stand even in this altar? Would you stand? Would you just stand before the Lord? Would you just lift your hands up to Jesus? Would you just rejoice in the Lord?